0: This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership, and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard, take the lead.
1: Hello, I'm Chloe Walker, and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. Diamonds are among the world's most prized and sought-after gemstones, revered for their beauty, rarity, and their ability to store or transfer wealth. Today, I'm joined by renowned fine jewellery expert, Adrian Dickens, to find out more about investing in diamonds and whether opportunities still exist for investors and collectors. Adrian brings over 40 years of experience as a personal jeweller and consultant for various Australian auction houses. Welcome, Adrian.
0: Thank you very much, Chloe. It's a great pleasure to be here.
1: It's great to have you here discussing my favourite topic, diamonds.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) Um, thought it might be, (laughs)
1: yeah, (laughs) and I'm sure yours as well. Um, So, Adrian, what are the benefits of investing in natural diamonds? What what actually drives their demand?
0: Well, being a jeweller, I think it's only I I need to be honest with you because that's very much how my business works. Yeah. In my whole career, I have never actually sold anything, whether it be a piece of antique jewellery or a diamond for investment, because frankly, nobody really knows what the market's going to do. Uh, But having said that, I will often say to people, I think this is very good value. And the reason I think it's good value is because, and then give them various reasons as to why it's good value. As we will no doubt talk about, uh, there has been the introduction of lab-grown diamonds over yes. the last few years, and that is uh, has created uh, an interesting reaction in the industry. Not just the industry, but also from a retail point of view. But if you're going to if you're going to buy a diamond, you're going to buy it in, uh, for an investment. The the I would never sell a diamond for investment, but what I would say to you is the key to buying a stone that will possibly increase is by going for the rarest possible diamond that you can get hold of. Now, if it's a white diamond, when we look at rarity, we look at cut first and foremost, because cut ultimately is what creates the sparkle. We then look at color because there are varying degrees of color. Mm-hmm. This is purely in white diamonds. We look at clarity because that is Mother Nature's hallmark of that stone. And if we're buying the rarest of rarest of diamonds, we obviously want the cleanest of cleanest diamonds. And then obviously the weight of the stone comes into it as well. But the, mo- the overriding factor of a beautiful diamond is it's cut, because that's what controls the sparkle and the beauty. So if we talk about white diamonds, uh, the bigger you go, one always says, the rarer they become. In the case of colored diamonds, and I'm talking about natural colored diamonds, mm-hmm. uh, they, they are almost like a stone in their own bracket. So a colored diamond is different in comparison to white a white diamond. And depending on the color... The value of that stone or those stones can be less than white diamonds, particularly if they're an off-yellow colour or a brown colour, but then they become very rare if they become pink, and in particular, particularly rare if they are argyle pinks. Um, And of course, over the years, having sold argyle diamonds for well over 30 years, the increase In the price of Argyle diamonds, especially once they knew that the mind was running out of stones, has been exponential. It's just gone absolutely through the roof. And of course, from my point of view, if you buy a rare pink diamond or you buy a rare white diamond, it's all very well sort of saying, oh, yes, well, you know, in 10 years' time, it might be worth this, which you can't say because you don't know. But You've also got to find the person who's actually going to buy it and who mm. is prepared to pay that price for it, whatever the market is saying about the value of it at that time.
1: That's a great answer. And um, I have a sneaky suspicion that those pink diamonds are your personal favorite. I, I love the yellow diamonds. That's just me. But they're all beautiful, of course.
0: <laughs> um, I, I, I particularly love colored stones. So it yes. doesn't matter if they're pink. Or they're blue or they're yellow, uh, as long as there's an intensity of colour there, and it's a very pretty colour, mm. um, it doesn't matter to me what colour a, a coloured diamond is. And of course that it is natural colour.
1: Yes. Now, I understand beers recently slashed the prices of its select makeable category by 25%, and this class of diamond is particularly susceptible to competition from lab-grown diamonds. So, Adrian, um, do you see the rise of lab-grown diamonds and the fall of real diamond prices as an opportunity or a cause for concern?
0: Um, Okay. So, to be completely transparent, as they say in this day and age,
1: I don't (laughs) like
0: lab-grown diamonds, all right? Mm -hmm. To me, the problem with lab-grown diamonds is is they are not rare. Part of what you are purchasing in a natural diamond is rareness. Mm. And over the last two to three years, the market has introduced lab-grown diamonds of varying sizes, wearable sizes, so for engagement rings, people are buying them because it's giving them the size they want at a fraction of the price of what they would have to pay if it was a natural stone my understanding talking with diamond colleagues over the last year uh, l- last few years is that uh, lab grown diamonds have definitely affected the market of mm. uh, natural white diamonds so i'm talking purely about white diamonds here and indeed Towards the end of last year, I was made aware that the price of bigger white diamonds, so I would imagine that means two carats upwards, has dropped by up to 35%. But by the very end of the year, there were signs that the natural bigger diamond market was starting to go up again. Not a great deal, but starting to go up again. If we look at history, if you think about a a beautiful Ruby or a beautiful sapphire. In the 1930s, they created synthetic rubies and synthetic sapphires. Uh And great jewelry houses throughout the world made wonderful Art Deco jewelry using synthetic stones. If you were offered a piece of Art Deco jewelry today and you discovered that all the stones were actually synthetic, The value of the piece is entirely in the value of the design and the brand of that particular piece. The synthetic sapphires and rubies are of no value whatsoever. And I believe that over time, this is what will happen with lab-grown diamonds. And indeed, if I use an example, so first of all, I don't deal in lab-grown diamonds because I think the, I could, it would do damage to my brand. I might sell a stone that I'm offering at a very reasonable price, but I suspect the price of it will continue to go down. So for example, about six months ago, a client called me up and said, I've been recommended to you. My partner and I have split up. We bought a diamond ring about two years ago. And I think she said it was like two carats 31 Brilliant cut, internationally certified and international certification, particularly by the GIA, is what Mm. one should always look at if you are contemplating something for investment purposes. Internationally certified, D color, which means it's the top white color, VVS1 clarity, so it's a very clean stone internally, extremely well cut, mounted in a platinum solitaire mount. And they paid over two and a half years ago $32,000 $32,000 for that ring, $32,000 for a natural. And she, so I, I sort of went, oh, that, that's a pretty good price. And then she went, oh, and I've got to tell you it's lab grown.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
0: ah, right. So she said, so because we've split up, I would like to sell it. And I just said to her, I'm very sorry, but I don't deal in lab grown diamonds at all. And I was not prepared to tell her what I felt the value of it should be. I recommended her to, to go to a very good auction house in here in Melbourne. And they have actually stopped selling lab-grown diamonds. But their jewellery expert said to me, after I had seen, after I, when I next saw that jewellery expert, who I obviously have a lot of faith in, She said to me, I'm not aware of them contacting me, but if they had contacted me, we would have said somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500. That's what you'd get at auction for it. Because, and remember this, they are assuming the diamond is worth nothing. Mm. Whereas what they're saying is, is it's the value of the mount. And isn't that history repeating itself? An art deco piece of jewelry with synthetic rubies and sapphires created in the 1930s under the vermeil process is not worth anything like an art deco piece of jewelry that is exactly the same with natural rubies and sapphires. And history is repeating itself, in my opinion, with lab-grown diamonds. And it is becoming more and more evident as time goes by that they might look exactly the same, they might stay looking exactly the same for hundreds of years. They should do, because the process in which they've been grown is the same as natural diamonds, except it's all been speeded up basically. I mean, there are two different processes, but it, it, it ultimately it creates a stone that is like a natural diamond. But what you have to think about is that it's not rare you can lose that two carat 31 DBVS one tomorrow, I can get you another one the next day. So there's nothing rare about them. So why would you put your money into a lab-grown stone? You put your money into a lab-grown stone because you want something looking fabulous on your finger. And if you are slightly not, not, particularly honest. You can say it's a natural coloured stone or it's a natural diamond, but of course it isn't. And, And that's your decision. You can do what you like, but I wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I, that's what you're here for, Adrienne. You're the expert. And, you know, we all heard it here first. Um, what an interesting insight. And I did not know about those synthetic rubies and sapphires. I had no yes. idea. And wow. Um, so history,
0: history is very yeah. much repeating itself. And indeed, another thing that I heard last year, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but in Hong Kong three times a year, there is the biggest international, one of the biggest international jewelry trade fairs of anywhere in the world at Wan Chai. And they have at least five halls, the, the equivalent size of what we refer to as Jeff's Shed here. So so in Wan Chai, they have at least five halls, the same size as Jeff's Shed. In March of last year, they had a hall, this is my understanding, they had a hall devoted to lab grown diamonds. That hall was packed. People were in there looking, saying, yes, I'm really interested, whatever. July came along. uh, My very honourable contact didn't go in July. She went back up in September. There was not a soul in the lab-grown diamond hall. Not a soul. What does that say? Yeah. And whereas they were being... Created by a few companies around the world, particularly um, in the US, M7D Corporation. Now they are being produced in uh, they're being produced in um, India and also in China. So you can imagine the volumes of these things that are being produced. So there is nothing rare about a lab grown diamond, even if you say you've got an eight carat one, and they are difficult to produce. They're not rare because they could produce another 8-carat diamond one tomorrow. You want me to find you an 8-carat DVVS1 round brilliant cut diamond cut, excellent, 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 GIA certified and everything, it might take me a few weeks to find it. And then if you ask me to find the same thing a week later, it might well take me months to find it because it's rarer.
1: Yeah, and over your forty-plus years of experience, Adrian, is there a favorite diamond that you've sourced? Um, And could you tell me about it?
0: Oh goodness! Um, (laughs) Well, I I worked for a a very well-known jeweler's in Sydney for five years. I managed a store in Sydney for five years prior to opening my business twelve years ago, and. We had a 12 carat pear shaped diamond, which at the time it wasn't top color, but it was beautifully cut. And to me, cut is the overriding factor. It doesn't matter to a certain degree what the color is, it's more about how, how it looks. And it's only going to look great if it ha- is cut to the highest of standards. This stone was around about 11 and a half carats, the biggest stone I've actually ever sold. and We had this lady walk in the store, and of course, you are taught in retail that you never judge a book by its cover. So with respect, she wasn't dressed particularly well, but I, of course, don't judge the book by its cover. And she asked to see this stone, which was in the window, in a ring. So I pulled it out, and it really was a beautiful stone. And she put it on her finger and she loved it. And I no- then I noticed that she actually had a three carat, approximate three carat diamond on her other finger. And so I said to her, Why don't you keep the pear shape on, wander around the store, and I'll clean the three carat stone for you while you're here. And so put it in an sonic, gave it a scrub, cleaned it, took it back out. And she said, Okay, ask a few questions. And then she went on her merry way. The next day, I was having some lunch and she phones up and she says, Oh, do you remember me? I came in yesterday and I tried on the pear shaped Darwin. And I said, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course, I remember you. And I said, How are you today? And she said, Oh, I'm really well. As she said, We'd like to buy that. No negotiation on price or anything. Um, she said, We're, We just love it and we'll buy it. And I think it was 368000 And it didn't. It, she didn't. They didn't negotiate on price or anything. So she said, "So how are you going to get it here?" So they are up on the North Shore. I said, "Well, we'll drive over this afternoon." So with my boss, we drove over, and she was really nice because even though I was working for someone, she directed all the questions at me. She basically ignored my boss. He was there more for security anyway. But yeah, she she really, obviously, really appreciated the service that I'd given her, and she she just turned around and said at the end, she said, do you know why we bought this diamond from you? She said, because of course we could have gone to anywhere. But she said, you were the only person who didn't judge me when I walked in the store. You treated me as I suspect you would treat anyone. And for that reason, we are buying the diamond for you from you. We're not, we're not going anywhere else because nobody else has cleaned my ring for me in the many stores that I've been in. So that stone has um, a lot of meaning to me, as it were. Mm. Um, and obviously, it was a real thrill not only to sell it, but to actually sell it for full retail price as well is is unheard of. So that's my that's my favorite story. If you wanted me to tell you what is the, my favorite diamond in the world, it would have to be the diamond that was originally called the Krupp diamond owned by a firm of in German industrialists in the 1920s that came to auction and Elizabeth Taylor bought it and it is now known as the Elizabeth Taylor Diamond.
1: Oh yeah. And I
0: think I'm right in saying she paid around about 39,000 US dollars for it and at the auction after her death it fetched I think it was 8.8 8 million dollars for it. Now that was an investment but also in that investment price so she she was very astute when it came to jewelry not just diamonds every piece of jewelry that she bought she bought it because it was beautiful she bought it if it had colored stones or was diamonds because they were rare stones so this was rare was a great color a great clarity but it was also rare because it was large and of course she had the money but she she really knew what she was doing so, if there is one celebrity of the 20th century who knew exactly what they were doing when they were buying jewelry, it would be Elizabeth Taylor. I'm sorry, we've wandered off your question. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, I hope that helps.
1: First of all, <laughs> of course it does. I love hearing your opinion. And first of all, what a lovely story and a, a good lesson learned. And yes, yep. Elizabeth Taylor, I mean, she was yes. incredible. <laughs> and I know that diamond and it's stunning. Yeah. So, finally, Adrian, um, as with. In any investment, of course, there are risks involved with buying diamonds, and we've talked about some of those. Um, You also mentioned the GIA certification. Yes. So uh, why is it so important to get that certification, and how many other certifications are there? And then what are some of the other major pitfalls that investors should look out for when they want to buy a diamond?
0: Well, first of all, one goes for a GIA certificate in most cases because Firstly, the Gemological Institute of America is a non-profit organization. What that means is, is that when they assess a stone, they ha- there nobody no can influence what they say, what they mm. are saying about that stone. They are purely there to assess it to the highest of standards and it is of no influence to them whatsoever what the value of that stone is or the rareness. They don't put rare on the certificate or anything like that. They purely value it from a gemological point of view that is a a gemological characteristics that are recognized all around the world. So a GIA certificate, if you were going to invest in a diamond, is an extremely important document. I refer to it as the passport for that stone. And (laughs) even if you're a very, very small investor and you've got a few thousand dollars that you want to put into a diamond. I, for example, would not sell it to you as an investment. But if you said, well, look, I, I respect what you're saying, Adrian, but I want to put $5,000 into a diamond, I can come up with a diamond for $5,000 and it will be supported by a GIA certificate. But what I also do is I have that stone independently assessed by the best valuer in Melbourne or, for example, in Sydney or wherever. And obviously, I've worked with many of these people. and. On stones that are graded by the GIA over the probably the last five to 10 years, they are all actually laser inscribed with a number on the girdle, which is the number that is on the certificate. So you, you, but you, it's a very difficult uh, laser inscription to read. So you give it to an independent valuer and they look at it under a microscope and they confirm that it's that stone. So that is to give you, the independent valuer is to give you peace of mind that the stone that you are being offered with the GI certificate is actually that stone. Obviously, uh, you have to trust the person that you're buying it from, that that person has a good knowledge about diamonds, is able to answer all of your questions. There are certain aspects to find diamonds, uh, particularly when it comes to the arrangement of facets or the proportion of the stone that is not my strong point. But I can bring in people who will explain that site. For me, to me, that gets too technical. Um, And I'm perfectly honest about it. It's because to me, it's more about the beauty of the stone. But certainly when you buy um, a GIA-graded stone, it gives you all of these different characteristics and you can have great confidence that it is what it is. There are probably about six or seven well-known laboratories around the world, but I would suggest, apart from the American, I think it's the American Gem Society or American Institute of Gemology, who also produce certificates, they would be the two most recognized and respected certificate and, and valuers, as it were, for the diamonds of anyone in the world. So I would always buy a stone, no matter what the value is, and have it uh, supported by a GI certificate obviously if you trust the person that you're buying it from you can trust the fact that it's it would have come from a reputable source because obviously someone like me is just in the the meat in the sandwich I'm part of the process <laughs> um though I do deal with many people all around the world who are they are the source where you can buy these sandwiches so I don't have middle people middlemen I can get very good value in that respect. I also think because it's independently valued, they will put a retail value on it. And you can tell from that, if it's if the price that you're paying is 10% less than the retail value, in my opinion, you're paying far too much. If I'm selling you a diamond, in most cases, you would actually find that the independent valuation is maybe 50% of that valuation price. Because being a one-man band, I'm able to offer great value because I don't have the expenses of shops and uh, staff and that sort of thing. Obviously, the obvious things are that we know that the stone is, it's not chipped or damaged in any way. Um, If it's been mounted, it needs to be reassessed by the valuer so they can make sure that it isn't chipped under a claw or anything like that. Because all that sort of thing would have a major effect on the stone.
1: Wow, that is so interesting. And thank you so much for sharing your insights today, Adrian. It has been a such a pleasure to have That's you on the podcast. And if <laughs> anybody listening wants to find out more about Diamonds or more about um, what you do, where do they find you?
0: Um, So my business is called Circa AD Jewels. And I obviously have a website, which is circaadjewels.com. And you can contact me through that. And you can also find me on Instagram, uh, circa underscore ad underscore jewels. And uh, yeah, I'd be delighted to help anyone talk to them. They, If they have a, a, a dharma that they want to sell, I have people who are looking for certain stones. I have contacts around the world who are looking for specific things. I guess that's the beauty of being in the industry for so long. I'm quite well known. And um, every day something new comes along and I just love it. So yeah, very happy to be of help.
1: That's great to hear. Thanks again, Adrian.
0: It's a pleasure, Chloe. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.